T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Brad Young at your service tonight here on Camel X. If you're you're wondering, hey, where the heck is Ryan Recker? I thought he was in here. Well, you know what? We are blessed to have Ryan Recker still here on Camel X, but he has moved to St. Louis Talks. It's on every day uh, in the slot that was formerly filled by Rush Limbaugh. Now it's St. Louis Talks with Ryan Recker, Carol Daniel, and Bo Matthews. It's on every day from 11 to 2. Uh, even when there's Cardinal games on, you can catch their podcasts at camox.com. So make sure you check out Ryan in the morning, uh, at least from 11 till 12, and then it's Ryan in the afternoon. But uh, it's no longer Ryan in the evening. So, Brad Young, at your service tonight, make sure you check out Ryan uh, tomorrow along with Carol Daniel and Bo Matthews. Hey, if you ever want to send me an email, I love getting emails from listeners. I always respond every time. And anytime I'm in this slot filling in, I always get feedback, and I appreciate that. If you want to send me an email, beyoung, that's B-Y-O-U-N-G, at harrisdowell.com. That's my law firm, Harris Dowell, Fisher & Young. Shoot me an email, and I will be sure to get back to you very quickly. One of the things in the news this week, we were talking about cancel culture. We'll be doing that again here in just a few moments. But uh, did you see it's Mother's Day? You know, yesterday was Mother's Day, and, uh, and happy Mother's Day to uh, all you mothers out there. And Cori Bush, though, she is the new congresswoman uh, from the city of St. Louis, and she came out with uh, a, a, an odd way of celebrating Mother's Day. In fact, she's been criticized for it a lot uh, over the weekend because here's exactly what Cori Bush said. She told this to Congress last week, and then she followed it up with a tweet that really, really didn't help anything. Here's what she said, quote, I am committed to doing the absolute most to protect black mothers, to protect black babies, to protect black birthing people, and to save lives, Bush told Congress. And, of course, no one can disagree with most of that. I mean, who could disagree with doing more to protect black mothers? That's essential. God bless her. hope that she gets that done. Protecting black babies, I, I want to protect black babies. I want to protect white babies. I especially want to protect uh, babies that are still in the womb. She didn't mention that. But, uh, but yeah, we want to protect babies. But it's her comment when she said she wants to protect birthing people, birthing people. So on Mother's Day, 
she she doesn't want to say mothers exclusively because I guess she's worried about uh, offending someone in the trans community. So she said birthing people. And, you know, it occurred to me that what if, what if, I mean, think about this. This is from one of the most iconic, classic movies of all time, Star Wars Episode 4. You know the scene, Darth Vader talking to Luke Skywalker. They're battling it out, and it goes like this. Join me. And I will complete your training with our combined strength. We can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you. If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me to kill him. No. I am your father. Imagine, imagine the power of this scene if Darth Vader, as he was looking at Luke Skywalker, said, Luke, I'm your non-birthing parent. I mean, would that... Would that have been? Would that have had Nathan here? You're you're a Star Trek or a Star Wars fan, aren't you? Would that scene have had the same emotional impact if Darth Vader would have said, "Luke, I'm your non-birthing parent"? I, I don't I don't think it would. Not at all. No. <laughs> it's such an iconic line. I think it would lose some of that iconicness. I it guess would. That's the word. It would. It would. It wouldn't be iconic if to say, "I'm your non-birthing parent." It's just. It's just not the same. Uh, and yet, apparently, that's what uh, Corey Bush wanted. She thinks that line should have been your non Luke. I'm your non-birthing parent. I mean, why can't you just say Mother's Day for goodness' sakes? Come on, Corey Bush, stop pandering. It's okay to say a mother. It's okay. Uh, last time I checked, mothers are the ones who give birth. And uh, if that's not the case, then not only do we need to call the news department here at KMOX, but we also need to call the Vatican. And report that. If that is not the case, uh, we we absolutely need to do that. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, Disney is not so woke today now that they own Star Wars. I hope they're not so woke that they're going to go back in, hire James Earl Jones to to redub the line to have him saying to Luke, I am your non-birthing parent. It just wouldn't be the same. Uh, you know what else wouldn't be the same? constitutional law wouldn't be the same if we didn't have Alan Dershowitz. So you're going to want to stick around. After this break, we're going to talk to constitutional law expert, author, attorney. He represented President Trump in the first impeachment trial. Alan Dershowitz, right here on X, right after this. Keep pace with the latest locally. Ask your smart speaker to play KMOX. Brad Young, at your service on KMOX Radio. Thanks for staying up with us this evening. And you've heard me talk about this alarming trend in America today where a select few people, most often on the left, seek to have people fired or shamed or otherwise punished simply for expressing their views that don't necessarily meet the standards of the far left. Cancel culture. 
That's what we're going to be talking about this hour. And joining us this evening is renowned constitutional law expert and New York Times bestselling author Alan Dershowitz. He's author of the new book, The Case Against the New Censorship. Mr. Dershowitz, welcome to KMOX Radio. Well, thanks. I actually have two books out. One is The Case Against the New Censorship. The other one is called Cancel Culture because the two phenomenon operate side by side, and the end result is we're a poor country for it intellectually, politically, democratically, um, and fewer views are getting expressed and more people are being intimidated into holding their views for themselves to themselves. It's just not the American way. You're exactly right. And your book, Mr. Dershowitz, or should I say your books, could not be more timely. Now, we traditionally, at least in the past, think of censorship as as coming from the government and censoring, you know, citizens like George Orwell in 1984. But but as you write in your books, this new censorship is coming from more often than not private tech companies. And in fact, just last week, President Trump's banishment from Facebook was upheld by Facebook's internal review committee. So is this the type of new censorship that you're writing about in your books? Yeah. I mean, I wrote the book because this is a new phenomenon. For 50 years, I have been fighting for the First Amendment against government censorship. Um, I started in the 1960s, and I won almost all of my cases because I had the First Amendment on my side. Um, I won the Pentagon Papers case, the Hare case, I Am Curious Yellow, so many of these cases because government has no right to censor speech. But now... Along comes private companies, and they say, wait a minute, we have the First Amendment on our side. We have the right to decide what goes on our platforms. We have the right to decide what to censor and what to publish. And you're going to lose if you go to court because the First Amendment is with us. And that's why I had to write this new book to alert the public to this new danger to freedom of speech using the First Amendment as a shield to protect themselves against charges that they are censoring. You know, we're talking to constitutional law expert Alan Dershowitz. He's got two new books out, including The Case Against Censorship, talking about this cancel culture idea. His other book, of course, is cancel culture. And Mr. Dershowitz, I'm an attorney here in St. Louis, and I've noticed from mm-hmm. from my uh, perspective and analysis that many of the perspectives of folks today go something like this. And I'm and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, we know what's right. We know what's wrong and we cannot even take the risk that a person's incorrect or offensive ideas might lead others astray. So therefore, we must suppress incorrect or offensive Mm -hmm. speech. But isn't this the same rationale that was used by, say, Castro or Stalin or Mao or even Mussolini to suppress free speech? Absolutely. And it's these young people who have no understanding of history, no concern about history. History to them is about dead white men. And they think they know the truth with a capital T. They know for sure that every policeman who kills a black person is guilty of murder. They know that. Uh, They don't have to have a trial or due process. They know that every man who's accused by a woman of doing anything improper of course, is is guilty. They know every election is fair and every vaccine is good. I might agree with their conclusions, but they conclude from that that they don't need dissent. They don't Mm -hmm. need due process. They don't need free speech. They don't need the marketplace of ideas that these concepts of free speech and due process 
are bourgeois, paternalistic, uh, colonialist, imperialist ways of keeping the uh, the uh, unprivileged down and giving more privileges to the privileged. They think that the First Amendment was designed to give privilege to privileged people because it favors wow. the articulate over the inarticulate, those who are capable of getting their views heard over those that are incapable of getting their views heard. And so they, for the first time in my life, and I've been doing this now for 60 years more, um, they have academics on their side. They have academics mm-hmm. saying, you know, censorship isn't such a bad idea. Free speech is not such a great idea. In my view, wow. you know, freedom of speech is like democracy. Winston Churchill put it very well. He said democracy is the worst possible system of governing, except for all the others that have been tried over time. <laughs> Free speech is the best system of allowing uh, discourse, except, uh, you know, and it's dangerous. Uh, but it's better than any of the alternatives. You are exactly right. Of course, we're talking to constitutional law expert Alan Dershowitz has two very timely books out, The Case Against the New Censorship and Cancel Culture. And as an attorney, Mr. Dershowitz, I, I tend to really get upset about these uh, uh, infringements on due process when we're talking about this idea of cancel culture. But from your perspective, what are some of the dangers, including due process, as we move down on this road of censorship? Well, first of all, it just doesn't allow change. Uh, if there's one set of ideas that are correct, uh, they're the ones that will prevail. And remember, it spreads beyond political ideas. In Castro's Cuba and Stalin's uh, Russia and Mao's China, they determined what music could be heard, what art could be seen. Um, they determine what ballets can be danced. Mm. Uh, once you give the censor the power, whether it's a private or a public censor, the appetite of the censor is voracious. It's never satisfied because you can always find a reason for showing why this play or this song or this uh, um, novel is going to do harm to uh, the utopia that they see. I think a lot of these young people have a view of utopia in which there's no dissent, in which everybody agrees with them. And if you live in such a utopia, you're, there's just no need for free speech and, and no need for uh, due process. The problem is we live in a dystopia where everybody mm-hmm. disagrees, and there's never been a greater need for uh, different points of view. Let me give you an example recently that occurred to me. So Bobby Kennedy, the son of the former attorney general, is an environmental lawyer, a terrific lawyer, and he's also a skeptic about vaccines. And I am less of a skeptic. I'm a believer in science. And I've been vaccinated, and I urge others to get vaccinated. So he challenged me to debate. We had a great debate for over an hour, which we talked about science and technology and law and medicine and constitutionality, and thousands of people watched it. Many people changed their minds and wrote us emails. And then YouTube took it down, saying Dershowitz was right, Kennedy was wrong. We don't want people to hear Kennedy's views. We want them to hear Dershowitz's views. I said, no, no, this is a debate. And I want to win it, but I want to win it on the merits, not by a technical lockout. And so we moved the debate over to Rumble, where many, many, many fewer people could watch it. But still, uh, we do have ways of fighting back against the new censorship. And alternative media like Rumble, like, you know, talk radio or podcasts uh, uh, are are the way to fight against this. Mm -hmm. The other way to fight against this is to repeal Section 230 
or change it at least, of the decency communications. And uh, that gives platforms immunity from being sued because it was believed at the time the statute was enacted that platforms were just platforms, just opportunities for others to say what they wanted and that the platform itself shouldn't be held responsible for the content that's on it. And that was correct at the time. But now that these platforms have become Mm -hmm. publishers, you know, Facebook has its own Supreme Court now, uh, you would think that 230 wouldn't apply to them. And I know there's some legislative consideration for amending 230 to require all media to pick and choose whether they're going to be a censor or not. If they're a censor, then they can't get 230. And if they get 230, then they can't censor. Yeah, I've seen that and I've followed that and I've I've spoken out publicly in, in favor of modifications to Section 230. But I want to get your opinion on another possible remedy. And I noticed sure. that Justice Clarence Thomas recently authored yeah. an opinion that was attached to the dismissal of the Knight First Amendment Institute versus Trump. And that was the case where folks were arguing that, that President Trump could not block someone on Twitter when he was using it for his official communications. Now, Justice Thomas argued that since today's social media operates like a monopoly, it could be regulated like any other monopoly, such as power companies or natural gas companies. Do you think that opinion has legal merit? It's interesting, and it should be studied. There's an enormous difference under our Constitution between power companies and speech companies. Uh, Power companies have no First Amendment rights, so there's no countervailing consideration. I would hesitate long and hard before giving the government the power to regulate uh, uh, YouTube or, or Twitter. Now, if they get predatory and monopolistic, then there are ways of dealing with that short of dealing with their content. But I would be loath to give the government the power over private companies to regulate free speech. So we have to always consider what you wish for and whether what you wish for will be worse than mm-hmm. the current situation. But it's worth studying. I thought that uh, Thomas's opinion was one of the most interesting opinions on the First Amendment in recent years, and probably one of Justice Thomas's most interesting opinions. You Again, we're talking to uh, constitutional law expert uh, Alan Dershowitz. He's got two extremely timely books, The Case Against uh, New Censorship and Cancel Culture. And you mentioned a few moments ago, Mr. Dershowitz, the, the Facebook Internal Review Committee. I think you called it Facebook's own internal Supreme Court. But last week they upheld the ban on President Trump. But the review committee failed, at least from my perspective, to identify any objective standards by which individuals can be judged to violate Facebook's policies. Now, here's my question. Why couldn't Facebook simply adopt the standards outlined by the U.S. Supreme Court in Brandenburg versus Ohio that false or even reprehensible comments are constitutionally protected if they're not designed to incite immediate violence? Wouldn't that work even for private companies? I think it would. But today, if you look at the standards that are set out in YouTube and and Twitter and um, Facebook, I think the Lincoln-Douglas debates would be taken down. Mm -hmm. I actually this weekend went back and read the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and I had read them in college. But uh, when you read them now, it's quite shocking because, you know, Douglas obviously was advocating slavery. That would be taken down. But Lincoln was saying free the slaves and send them to Liberia because— there's no way that black slaves can ever compete with white people. Whites are superior. I mean, he was expressing white supremacist point of view back in 1859. Uh, that would probably be taken down. I think the debates over the Constitutional Convention 
uh, in the last part of the 18th century would probably be taken down. Uh, so, you know, you have to ask yourself whether or not the tradition of American debate and dialogue uh, would be today allowed on YouTube. I used to debate with some regularity um, Bill Buckley, who was a leading conservative thinker, mm -hmm. and uh, he called me his favorite liberal, and I called him my favorite conservative, and <laughs> we debated so many issues, and then, of course, we'd go out and have a drink afterwards. Of course. Uh, you can't do that today. Because I defended President Trump, even though I voted for you know, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, but because I defended President Trump, all of my liberal friends on Martha's Vineyard have stopped talking to me. I lost 20 pounds on what I call the Trump diet because nobody invites me to dinner anymore. <laughs> well, my, my law partner in my office here in St. Louis has a house on Martha's Vineyard, and, uh, and I think he would be in that particular group as well, Mr. Dershowitz. Hey, uh -huh. uh, I appreciate you giving us some time. I've got one last question sure. for you. You, you mentioned this a little bit a few moments ago, but this new censorship isn't really just limited to tech companies. I mean, universities across oh, the country, yeah. formerly bastions of free speech, now routinely prohibit conservative speakers from appearing on campus and even professors who, who dare to express opinions that go against the liberal oligarchy are just threatened with termination from their teaching positions. How well, even liberal professors, yeah. even liberal professors like me, uh, there are efforts to ban us. Berkeley tried to ban me. Uh, there were efforts to have me not allowed to speak at uh, Johns Hopkins University. And these are very good universities. Uh, Brooklyn College, which is my alma mater, has had every anti-Israel speaker in the country speak, but no department will invite me to make an argument in favor of the right of the nation state of the Jewish people to exist. So, uh, you know, you get that kind of bias today on many college campuses. What's worse, though, is that you have professors today who are writing essays saying censorship is a good thing, free speech is a bad thing, it's patriarchal, it's, it's designed to keep the privileged privileged, and it's against the underprivileged. And you, for the first time in my lifetime, you see academic arguments against freedom of speech from people of the extreme left. And, of course, as they're, talk, as they're educating the students, Mr. Dershowitz, we're now creating an entire generation of college graduates who also believe the same, that, that censorship is good and free speech is bad. Right. And people forget that the kids, that the people who burned the books, the first people who burned the books in Munich in 1933 were college students. Uh, college students have been on the forefront of some of the worst movements in the world, uh, fascism, uh, communism, uh, and, and other uh, forms of repression. So just because people are young doesn't make them smart or right. And uh, every argument has to be considered on the merits. And that's what free speech is all about. That's exactly what it's all about. Alan Dershowitz, author of two extremely timely books, The Case Against the New Censorship and Cancel Culture, joins us this evening on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Mr. Dershowitz, thanks for joining us this evening on Camo X. My pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, we'll be back right after this. Next Level Listening. News Radio 1120 AM, 98.7 FM. KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. Brad Young here at your service this evening on Camo X. Hey, did you follow this bear story yesterday? I was getting texts from a friend of mine who uh, lives in Kirkwood 
as they were tra- tracking this bear as it was walking through Kirkwood. And uh, and then it was uh, actually, I think it made its way over to Richmond Heights because the, the photographs that I saw today, uh, the bear climbed up in a tree in Richmond Heights right by just east of the Galleria, I believe, is where this, this took place. And what I thought was interesting was that uh, the, the Clayton Fire Department was called in because that's a bigger fire department than, than Richmond Heights. So the, the Clayton Fire Department comes in and they try to get this 150-pound juvenile bear out of a tree in front of a home, uh, again, just right next to the, the Galleria. And I thought, yeah, you know, that would be hard. I mean, I, I can't get my uh, senior in high school out of the basement when she's got chips and salsa. You know, what's it like if you try to get a bear out of the out of a tree that weighs 150 pounds? Well, the tree doesn't weigh 150 pounds. The bear does. So they so they tranked this thing, and then they got it out. But what I did was I, 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 called, I called some folks I know in Richmond Heights. And you know how police all, we always have – these body cams on now. It's just it's just required. It's it's what we have to do in the 21st century. But the uh, apparently one of the police officers had his body cam turned on when when they were approaching this bear. And this is the audio that I got just today. I don't think this is played anywhere else, but I got it just today from yesterday's encounter with the bear in Richmond Heights. I have had it, Boo Boo. I'm gonna bust out of here. How come, Yogi? Every day it's the same old thing. Look at the bears, look at the bears, look at the bears. Sheesh. Yeah, well, see, now, I don't think that's been played. Now, Nathan's holding, he's, he's doing the face palm. Now, that, that hasn't been aired anywhere, Nathan. And it, 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 turn on your mic. So don't don't you think that's that's newsworthy, isn't it? That was great, and I wasn't ready for it. That's why I was face palming. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the bears! Look at the bears! So, uh, but I agree. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that was that was anywhere else. No, I, th- I, I, I think, I think you're the first one to do it. I think that's a Camo X exclusive, right here tonight. We're making news at 10:42 uh, p.m. here on a Monday evening. Uh, thank you very much to the uh, to the Clayton and Richmond Heights Police Department that gave us that exclusive exclusive audio from the tranking of the bear in Richmond Heights yesterday. Hey, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about Mother's Day, the Mother's Day Index, because, you know, moms are just, they're just not appreciated. And there's a company that every year for the past 11 or 12 years, they calculate, they figure out what moms do. They calculate the value of those services based upon the, the labor market value of those services. And they come up with a number. So I'm going to go through that number with you just to let you know what moms sacrifice to be uh, at home, either when they're working parents or when they're uh, stay-at-home moms, whatever the case may be, they're working all the time to get those families raised. We'll break those numbers down after this on Camo X at your service. Brad Young, don't go away. Look at the bears. Look at the bears. Look at the bears. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. Well, if you're a mom out there, I hope you had a great Mother's Day yesterday. And uh, because, darn it, you deserve it. Uh, you, Frankly, you do. 
And what's interesting is it was about 11, 12 years ago, uh, Insure.com, which is which is a life insurance company, they started tracking. And, and what I find fascinating about this is, is that I'm an employment attorney, and so I'm always looking at data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I look at it all the time whenever I have to figure out what – you know, how, what kind of uh, category can an employee work in? Is he in sedentary duty? Is he in medium level, light duty? Is he heavy duty? So I got to look at these titles. So the, the insured.com about 12 years ago started classifying the work that moms do. And the list they came up with is 18 different jobs that moms do. This isn't just moms that are stay at home moms, these are working moms. Uh, uh, grandmothers who are, are helping out their their kids, but all of these different job duties fall under the Bureau of Labor Statistics categories, like chauffeurs, shuttle drivers, teachers, especially during pandemic, teachers, childcare workers, vocational nurses. You know how many times when you were a kid were you bleeding, you fell off your bike, and your mom had to patch you up? All right, she was being a nurse. She was being a nurse. Uh, 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 meeting and convention planners. You know, I saw that because I've got three daughters, and if there was going to be a party in our basement, I'm telling you, that was a meeting planner. A, a <laughs> It truly was. Uh, uh, hairdressers, uh, you know, except for me. Uh, personal care aides, accountants, landscaping and groundskeeping worker, designer. How about a private detective? You know, mom's are fantastic private detectives, bakers, mental health counselor, a judge. Yes, moms act as judges and even elementary middle school teachers. But every year they track the value of all of these services at insure.com. And this year, the, the, the number that just leaps off the page is that mothers, if they were paid for these services would be entitled to earn $116,000 for the services that they provide in those 18 different categories from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. What's interesting is, is that number has jumped 23% from last year. Last year was at 94000 This year it's at 116000 Why the jump? Well, of course, for everything these days, it's COVID, COVID, COVID. So how many moms had to become teachers this year because their kids weren't going to school? Or they were doing e-learning, which my, my, my youngest daughter, high school senior, she did e-learning this year. And I, I, at least my impression was it was emphasis on the E, not so much on the learning. I mean, that's what I saw. Uh, it was really cool to log into Zoom. And she told me some of her friends would be on their phones in their beds with their pajamas on and they would show up for school lying in bed. Now, if I were a teacher, I'd say, hey, get your butt out of bed, okay? You're not going to attend school lying in bed with the covers up around your ears. We're not going to do that. But some kids did. So mom's got to be at that point. But I want to switch gears because we don't have a lot of time here. But the other story that I wanted to get to was that the D.C. mayor, the mayor of Washington, D.C., has banned dancing because of COVID, just over the weekend, has banned dancing at weddings. Says you cannot dance, you cannot dance at weddings. And I got to tell you, 
Have you seen Guardians? You've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, haven't you, Nathan? I've seen it a bunch of times. Great movie, okay? One of my favorite lines from Guardians of the Galaxy is when Chris Pratt is says, well, on my planet, we have a legend about people like you. It's called Footloose. And in, a, and in it, a great hero named Kevin Bacon teaches an entire city full of people with sticks up their rear ends that dancing, well, dancing is the greatest thing there is. So if the mayor of Washington, D.C. is listening, this is for you. From the oldest of times, people danced for a number of reasons. They danced in prayer, and they danced to stay physically fit and show their community spirit. And they dance to celebrate. And that, that is the dancing that we're talking about. That's right. So if you're in Washington, D.C., and you want to dance at your wedding, you're going to have to invite Kevin Bacon over to advocate on your behalf for dancing at a wedding. Uh, at what point do we say enough is enough? You know, it's interesting. During one of the breaks, I was chatting with uh, producer Nathan, and and with so many of these issues that come up now, Nathan and I, I'm in the exact same position. I find myself in the middle of some of these arguments. Like, uh, I don't agree with the people who say you shouldn't have to wear a mask anywhere and it infringes on my constitutional right. You know what? You can stick a mask on your face if you go into Walmart. I mean, come on, big deal. what's the big deal? But on the other hand, we're going to ban dancing at a wedding. And I was really upset, Nathan, whenever all of these states were saying you couldn't go to church or you couldn't sing at church. I'm like, you know, last time I checked, freedom of religion is a First Amendment right. And you're going to say we can't go to church. Make me wear a mask. That's fine. Make us stay six feet apart. That's okay. But you're closing down church, really? So in a lot of these issues, I find myself in the middle But to say there's no dancing at weddings, particularly now that we're coming out of the pandemic, we're getting close to herd immunity if we ever really truly can reach that. Uh, Half of over half of Americans have been vaccinated. I've been I've got uh, I'm you know I'm vaxxed and waxed and ready to go. So uh, uh, if you haven't got your vaccine, make sure you get it. But the point is, is that these government officials become so, I think, drunk with power that they want to control every aspect of our lives. That's why I'm glad that Jeff City is placing limitations on what county executives can do about shutting down the economy. If you want to make us wear a mask, that's fine. You want us to stay socially distant and use hand sanitizer? Absolutely. But don't shut us down. Don't put millions of people out of work because of some stupid COVID regulations. And uh, and to me, the uh, I think we're going to go we're coming up here on the end of the show here. So uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. But don't shut us out. Don't cancel weddings and don't ban dancing at get togethers. Brad Young at your service. Thanks for staying up late with us tonight. And as always, keep your radio on KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.